Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I was brave because I went to buy groceries at the supermarket. Yes, I am in London, where the current cases of COVID are 1 in 20, I believe. It's between 1 in 30 and 1 in 20, no one knows. And when I go out, and I live in like a busy hipstery area if i go out to just go to the supermarket i cross maybe i don't know 200 people not wearing masks on the street so yeah i'm being brave just for the sole purpose of, of getting food to eat and survive <laughs> with that in mind i won't expend any more energy so i won't need to have as much food so the one i do have at home lasts longer and I don't have to go to the supermarket as early. So I'll just start the episode, which starts as every Dowdy episode starts with my guest, Will Hines, introducing himself. My name is Will Hines, and I am a, an actor in Los Angeles. And I also do improv comedy uh, at various improv theaters. And I teach improv a lot. And that's, that's how I know you. And you're a great improv teacher and actor. I have to say, like, one of my best memories of you as a teacher in a class was realizing how, like, simple and um, or small acting can be mm. or how simple you made it look because it was like a moment where you were exemplifying something mm -hmm. just chatting normally as yourself mm -hmm. and then you said so if i was a teenage girl and then you just embodied a teenage girl sitting mm -hmm. on the chair and just slightly changed <laughs> some something about yeah. your body posture and i thought wow will is a teenage girl oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing to see it happen like that oh, thank you that makes me feel good i, I hope it's like that yeah, I try to I try to keep it pretty small. <laughs> the changes, you know, acting is really fun, and it's fun to think about and to try to do it. It's really hard sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's really fun. I find it really hard. I took an acting class just before lockdown, mm. and yeah, I don't know if uh, I'm I'm good at it. It was hard, and at uh, the moment the teacher thought I had like a breakthrough, I thought I was just angry and maybe that made it look like I was acting but I was just angry at the exercises he was telling me to do yes well acting is so subjective you know even people who are like really successful and famous for being an actor there's lots of people who think that person is bad you know what I mean like uh, every single acting performance I can think of and I live in Los Angeles so people talk about you know TV and movies all the time and you hear every single person that you've heard of, I've heard somebody criticize them. Uh, and it's ultimately just so subjective that it's really hard to be secure if you're doing a good job or not. And I think, I think one of the skills of being an actor professionally is just being able to decide for yourself that you're good, regardless of what somebody else says. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you don't get the audition or even if you hear somebody say you're not good, it's like, well, no, I think I'm good and tough shit. But yeah, that's that's, that's good. I will try to do that. I, I I try to do that with like a lot, even like stand up and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think yeah. it's the same way. Like, every, you know, most stand ups that I know, probably all, but most, you know, are pretty inconsistent. They have nights where they are successful and nights where they don't connect with the crowd, and ultimately they have to convince themselves to, that they're good enough to keep going. Uh, the world always gives you evidence that you're bad. <laughs> no matter what, and you just have to kind of not pay attention to it selectively, I guess. Yeah. How would you define bravery? Bravery is doing something that you're scared of because you, you believe it will be good for you or good for somebody else. I, I know it in my gut when I'm being brave. I can feel it. Fear is sometimes good, right? You're scared of things that are dangerous mm -hmm. and will hurt you, and that's good fear. But then fear is sometimes also bad. It like is just warning you that you're about to do something new and unknown and so you have to use your human brain to override that fear mm -hmm. and usually i kind of know what kind of fear i'm dealing with that's good so you know as you're doing stuff you know you're being brave yeah yeah have you thought about moment examples of moments yes. where you have been brave yeah so um uh, one i thought about is um when i i moved to los angeles from new york um seven years ago. Wow. I know it's been a long time. Sometimes uh, time is longer than I, I know. I believe uh, perceive me. it to be. 
it feels like I've been here three years, but then I'm like, nope, it's been seven. And um, when I did it, I was really scared of to move. And I worried that I was going to ruin my life because I was going to sort of like give up a lot of professional relationships I had in New York and really friendships too. Not totally give them up, but, you know, weaken them. Like I just would be around new people and I would have to form new friendships and new professional relationships. And it was really scary. And I worried that I was making a mistake. But um, within, within all that, the act of bravery that I was thinking about is when I asked a friend of mine to be a, my roommate because I was moving to L.A. without a job. I, you know, I was going to try to be an actor. And I'd had some small success of being an actor while I was in New York doing some commercials and had auditions for a couple of things, but I, I hadn't had like a ton. It wasn't like I was making a living off of it, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I'd had a number of times where I would audition and I would get the part. So I'd be like, okay, I think, I think I can do it. And I got a lot of friends in the business. So I think that'll help. I think I could do it, but I didn't have a job. And so I was trying to be like, okay, how am I going to like just make money? And I thought about like, well, I can teach improv and, you know, I like got out a piece of paper and I was like, I think I can make this much money a week teaching improv. And um, I used to be a computer programmer and I thought, well, if I have to, I could probably make some little amount of money doing that. I mean, it had been a while since I'd been a programmer. So my skills were out of date. So that wasn't a guarantee, but I was like, I think I could make some money doing that. And I said, shit, and I guess worse comes to worse, I could just try to get a job like in an office, you know, doing, I'm like smart or whatever. So I just was like, I think I could do it. But I was like, oh, it'd be really good if I had a roommate because that just makes living expenses so much cheaper. But I was uh, 43 and I was sort of embarrassed to ask someone to be my roommate. A lot of my friends in the business were like, I don't know, they were around 30. And so I was a little bit like humiliated to like ask somebody. And I was like, am I going to be, and I, I didn't have any like close friends I could ask. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like one of my brothers was moving or one of my very inner circle who I probably would have been comfortable to ask. I had to kind of like risk it. So I asked, um, there was a friend of mine named Phil who was moving at the same time. He had a job. He was about to write for Key and Peel, the sketch show. And I didn't know Phil that well. I, I did know him. We were friends, but not like very close, you know? Yeah. I don't even think we'd ever like just hung out socially, just me and him. We had a lot of mutual friends, so we would be at a lot of things together. But I realized, oh, Phil's moving out there and he, he's only got a job that's going to last two and a half months. And then he doesn't have a job. I don't know. It was one of those things where I was like, I could ask Phil. Re- you know what really would happen? I'm remembering now. I was almost deciding not to move. It was December. I ended up moving in January of 2014. And in December, I was like, I'm not going to do it. It's stupid. Uh, I'm just going to stay here. I told everybody I'm leaving, but fuck it. I'm not going to. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have a job. And um, I was in my apartment in Brooklyn, and I was like, all right, well, if I still moved what does that look like? Like, how do I do it logistically? And one of the things was I could get a roommate. And also I was just like scared to be alone. I was like, I think it would just be nice to have somebody in the apartment. Yeah. And so I asked Phil, like, I don't even remember. I think I emailed him Mm -hmm. and was just like, would you want to get an apartment together? And it must have been strange. I didn't, you know, can you imagine just like asking someone you don't know that well, do you want to live with me? (laughs) was your fear, if you can call it that, uh, more associated with the shame? Yeah, I guess it's shame. Like... Yeah, like, it's hard to ask for help. And and I had been a teacher. I, I met Phil because he was a student of mine initially. Mm-hmm. He was an improv student. I was an improv teacher. And I think there was shame because I had sort of been, like, higher than him in the, like, <laughs> improv school, like, society. And now I'm kind of like, yeah. I need your help, you know? Mm-hmm. I need you to be... It would really help me if you were like my roommate or whatever. I feel there's there's a lot of that, like the the breaking down of hierarchies a bit in like this profession or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you do meet people like when I met you, you are like a big deal. That's right, big deal. <laughs> and it's like deal. hard to yes, it's hard to like um, be comfortable to 
even invite you to be on my podcast, even though I think you're a super accessible person. Mm-hmm. You stayed uh, at mine when you yeah, came to London and we hung out a lot yeah. and had breakfast together and it was always like uh, nice conversations, yeah. but there's still like a little bit of, um, you know, yes. uh, jitters. <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel that way um, whenever I have to basically, uh, so I guess the active bravery that I'm, the way I would label it is uh, asking for help um, is sometimes mm-hmm. embarrassing, is a weird way to describe it, but that's what it feels like. And you have to ask for help all the time. Well, really, probably in anything you do in life, but in particular in like the acting and entertainment business, it's who you know is how you're going to get the job and you have to ask for help from people. And it's really humiliating to do it. Uh, And I still don't do it that often. But every now and then I'll ask friends of mine who are more successful than me for like help. And it's deeply embarrassing. Also, I don't like putting people on the spot. But so I still am very selective about when I do that. I I have to believe that it's like when I'm asking somebody for help, I kind of have to believe that it makes sense in some way. Yeah. My, that my relationship with the person and what I'm asking for like makes sense. I once got an offer to audition for a show. This is years and years ago called Best Week Ever on VH1. It was like a show where people would just like, comedians would come on and just like make comments on the week's news. And I had an audition mm-hmm. to be on that. And I didn't get this job, but I had never been on television before. So it would have been like a big deal and so I had a couple of friends of mine who I didn't know that well, but who had been on the show. And so I felt comfortable asking them, what's it like being on the show? And I have an audition. Do you have any advice? That felt like, okay, that's not too much of an indulgence to ask. Yeah. They would probably be happy to get, and I'm not asking them to put a word in for me um, or to do anything. Just like, give me advice. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was still nervous to do that. Yeah. I think it's also like when you ask something of someone who's a friend, they may feel they have to, or like, that's my fear sometimes is that they will feel like they will have to help me. Yeah. And they don't want to. Yeah. It's tough. But I think more often than not, most people are happy to help. Yes. And also sometimes they can only help so much. Like I've had friends who are like, actors on television shows and i'm like gosh i'd like to be on that television show but like the the person who's acting on the show can't really like get me a job like it's not really up to them they could maybe recommend me but i still have to audition and or uh, someone even has to offer me an audition i have to get the audition like there's a million people have to say yes like it's pretty rare that somebody's in a position to give you a job free and clear just just like in October, I had somebody email me and were like, oh, I recommended you to be on the show that I'm working on. I was like, great. And I never heard anything from anybody, which means, well, either they were lying, but I don't think they were lying. I think like they recommended me and then like the producers were like, no, we don't want to ask that person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh. So there's even a limit to how much people can do. But um, you know what? I asked somebody if I could write for their show. I do know somebody who created a television show and I don't know them that well but I know them. Like I say hi to them when I run into them, which is like once a year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to ask if I can write for the show. And this person probably gets asked all the time. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'd really love this show. I'd feel dumb if I didn't ask. I'll just keep the email short. <laughs> and so they can just say yes or no. And they're a professional and I won't pester them. And they said, no. Mm -hmm. Really what they said was, probably not. We have a lot of people for these positions, but I'll mention you to my producers and if if they're into it, you'll hear something. Yeah. And basically what that says to me is, no. No, yeah. But but I I was actually excited that this person answered. I I, It was not like I know them that well. Like I might've expected a non-answer. Yeah. And I, I think it's hard to give the answer that they gave. So I just said, thank you. you know. Yeah, it's also hard for people to say no or uh, 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 I can't a or... sister or cousin of that. Yeah. Yeah. 
But also, if somebody's in the business, they've had to say no a lot, and it's part of their job to work with people. And I've had to say no to people. Mm-hmm. It's no no fun, but it's I don't know. I I wasn't upset at it. I was almost relieved. <laughs> Just, just that they answered. Uh, the original act of bravery of asking Phil oh, yeah. to get a flat together, you did. I did, yeah. He answered pretty fast. He was like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do it. I was really happy. And then he actually already was in LA at a sublet. And then I moved the next month. And I was like, all right, I'll see what I can find. And I like shopped around this neighborhood where a lot of former, where a lot of our mutual friends live. And there were, there were not a lot of one bedrooms, but there were a ton of two bedrooms. Not a ton, but there were way more. And I just found one. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I also asked friends who already were in LA, anybody know of any apartments? And somebody told me about one. And I went to that apartment based on my friend's recommendation. They had not like publicized that it was available. I went right to the landlord, asked him to see it. He showed it to me. I called Phil and I was like, this looks good. He came over and saw it. We like looked at it together, told the landlord we were interested and I had it the next week. So like I, and so, and Phil and I are still roommates. It's been seven years. It's strange. Like, yeah. And by, and he's become like a massively successful comedy writer. Like it's dumb that he's still my roommate. Fr- frankly, he's, he's just working so much that he hasn't had time to move out. He probably, he probably will. Or he just like really likes living with you and is very happy that you've asked. We, uh, yeah. Two bedroom, two bathroom. We're, we're good roommates. After having lived in New York, where you, everybody has very small apartments, there's so much space in this apartment for our New York standards that it's just easy to live here. So it also is like a good deal. But, you know, I, I was not going to move. And when I asked Phil and he said yes, and then I asked friends and somebody actually knew of an apartment, uh, it was like validation. It was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is the right move. This is a... Uh, 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 a bad question to ask, but you haven't regretted it yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Imagine if I did, yeah. No, I hate it. He's a nightmare. Um, no, um, I, I don't regret it. I, I'm really glad that I did it. I had been thinking about it for years, and the, op- and the time felt right. I had just ended a relationship with somebody, not even just, it was like a year and a half before. But, like, I was kind of, I didn't have any big obligation to stay. And I had had a job working for the UCB theater in New York, but I didn't want to do that job anymore. And so I was kind of like, you know what, this is a good time to move. And I had quit drinking uh, a year and a half before I moved also, or maybe just a year, a year. And that had been a big change that I had really liked. And even though a year to me doesn't sound long now, at the time it did, I was like, yeah, it's been a year since I quit drinking. You know what I mean? I think it's time for me to try, try something new. You only live once. Mm-hmm. And I, a friend of mine told me right before I, well, I, I expressed to a friend of mine, I think I'm not going to move. And he was like, you got to do it. You've told everybody. You have to at least go. And you could even come back in six months. That would be okay. But you got to at least try it. And I was like, yes, that's true. I can't not try it. I can always come back. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just come back in a year if I hate it. And um, I moved and um, I liked it so much immediately. Like once I actually moved into an apartment and had a place, uh, I was super happy and I loved it. Um, it was really exciting to be on the West Coast. I'd, all, I'd grown up on the East Coast. I'd never like been far from where I grew up. Um, that was exciting. Uh, a bunch of people hired me to coach their teams. So I had enough money to live. I booked a commercial um, right away and then ended up not booking anything for quite a while. But um, uh, I started dating somebody. Um, it was like the world was telling me this is correct. <laughs> yeah. I saw a lot of friends I hadn't seen for a long time. It just felt really nice. Did it make it easier to like change settings or scenarios or to like quit a job you were in that you didn't in- would you have done that if you were still in New York and how does the um, like drinking 
culture differs in between New York and LA. Yeah, um, being sober in LA is way easier than being sober in New York. Like in New York, the bars are open till like four or five in the morning. You don't have to drive. You can take the subway anywhere. So you're not endangering people to be drunk. Um, yeah. It's just a big, it's a, more of a drink in town. In LA, the culture is just not, I mean, certainly people drink here and there's people who drink too much here and stuff. But like, it's way more common for just people to have a round or two and then stop. Mm-hmm. Frankly, people smoke pot way more than they drink in LA. Like it's... It's also legal in LA, right? In, in New York, it's not yet legal to smoke. It's reason. way, I think it, it, it is, yeah, it is legal in LA. I think you need a medical card, but it's like super easy to get the thing that you need. Um, it's basically completely legal in LA. Yeah. And in New York, I think it is also legal, but somehow they're just culturally, or I don't, I don't know what it is. That it's more, you have to jump through more hoops. It's just not done as much. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't smoke pot either though, so it doesn't matter. I don't, I, I'm, a, I'm sober in every way. I'm the most boring man that I know. <laughs> So it was easier in LA, but when I, when I quit drinking, I didn't know that I was going to stop, stop. I thought I was taking a break. Um, but then I just, after like three months, I just liked it so much. I was like, I think this is the right move. I have a similar experience. I stopped drinking because I started doing comedy and was drinking every night and it wasn't healthy. So I thought I'm taking a break. And then I just thought, why, why am I drinking? I'm enjoying myself not drinking. Yeah, I just felt right for me you know and i i still say to myself i might drink someday like i i don't believe in saying anything finally but i you know probably i'll probably never drink again it suits me it's not for everybody i'm not a big like preacher about it like i i don't care if other people quit or not yeah you know it's up to everybody's individual choice whether they want to do that or not but for me it was i was like oh yeah this is better i'm like less sad and less angry and uh, I'm just not as tired. Like my body just can't, <laughs> couldn't handle it and stuff. And, but mostly I was happier. Yeah. Cause I would be a nervous wreck at parties and I would get drunk and just say something stupid. Most of the time that was relatively harmless, but since I've gotten sober, I just don't do that as much. I still get nervous. I still get anxious. I probably still say stupid things, but they're way less stupid. And you're more conscious about them. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. You're more conscious. Like I have just a better sense of boundary, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just, much more likely to be quiet when I'm, you know, rather than it's like, you know, my my sober brain will tell me, you don't need to say anything right now. You can just be quietly awkward and that's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody needs you to fill the silence with some anything. Um, And if I'm drunk, I'm like, I am going to be the one to save this conversation. (laughs) Check this out. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, for me, it it suited me, but um. I think that's like a cool framing because usually you think like people think, or I'm not, I don't know, I'm generalizing, but my brain of someone who used to drink will say, tell me that because I'm less anxious, I'm more uh, willing to get into conversations and I'm anxious and, and, and shy and stuff. So I may not speak that much now that I don't drink. Yeah. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe I'm losing out on a conversation, but I'm not because it will probably just be me saying stupid shit to, to people when I was drinking. So it's a good way to frame yeah, it. Yeah, I, d- I do think way. that. Like I, I miss the camaraderie of getting a drink together with people. Like there is kind of a shared vulnerability of like people getting a little drunk together. And I do miss that, but not that much. Yeah. I mean, most of my drunken conversations were a waste of time. Yeah. There weren't, there weren't too many that I really needed. They feel important at the time, and it's like, they're just dumb. For me, again. Uh, yeah, maybe if I was younger, I'd feel differently. I was, also, you know, I was like 42 when I quit. Like, your body really handles it a lot worse when you get older. You stay tired for longer. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're in your 20s, you can rebound faster physically. Yeah. Even so, quitting drinking, I don't think was as brave. Quitting drinking is still sort of like, the, the bravery that I have still have trouble doing, asking for help, reaching out, telling people you need something is still scarier than anything I do 100% myself. Like quitting drinking is still ultimately a solo decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, I relied on a lot of other people to do that too. And I did like a 12-step program and things. So 
but it still was just like me making decisions for me. Uh, I'm not necessarily imposing on anybody else when I quit drinking. But when I asked Phil to be my roommate, it was like, well, I don't know. Is this weird? Am I putting him in a weird spot? Uh, that worked out so great. It was crazily great. And I had to ask people for help when I moved to LA all the time. But then I entered in, when I moved to LA, I think this is what you were sort of saying. Like I, I quit my job in New York before I decided to move. I would have quit that job anyway. But I, I think you do enter in periods of your life where once you make one big decision, suddenly everything's up for grabs. Like you enter into a period of change. When like, it's like, well, as long as I'm moving to LA and I might as well really try to be an actor a hundred percent and not get a day job and just see if I can do it yeah. and see how long I can last. And like, as long as I'm doing that, I might as well stay sober and I might as well try meditating, <laughs> you know, you, you sort of, you know, I might as well hang out with this person that I never hung out with before and like be friends with somebody that I haven't had time to be friends with. Like suddenly you're at a crossroads and you're just like open to new things. It's kind of, it's kind of exciting. I think I feel like I uh, need things like that at periods in my life. And I've, I've just realized that I've also moved to London in January, 2014. Oh, so yeah? I've been here for seven years from where? and I feel like I need from Portugal, from my hometown. Cause I've, I've studied at university in another city, the third biggest city in Portugal, mm -hmm. but then I went back home uh, for a while to my parents. Mm -hmm. So I was living with my parents when I moved to London, which I did again for two months during lockdown, during the first COVID lockdown. Mm. Did you move to the apartment you're in now when you moved to London? No, I moved in. Yeah, I stayed for like a month in a sofa at a friend's and then me and a couple of other friends got a flat together. Uh, so I'm here in this flat for four years, I think mm -hmm. now. Was it scary to move to London? It wasn't. I had lived in London before because I did my master's here. Mm. So there was some comfort in knowing that I enjoyed living here and I enjoyed like the people in London and I enjoyed the possibility of London. So that was exciting. It was scary because I... I moved here. I, I have a master's in biochemistry and I was doing research and I moved here wanting to do something different with no proper plan. So it was scary in that sense that I didn't know what I was going to do as a job and stuff like that. Yeah, must be. But it worked out eventually. <laughs> yeah. Was it scary for you to pursue like comedy? Not super. Like it all started by chance. Uh, I just like, I did my improv, my first improv class. I started watching improv because like I met Sam mm -hmm. uh, and I started watching his shows um, and then someone else from his team asked me why I didn't, wouldn't take a class and I said, sure, I'll just take a class. And people laughed in the first class in one scene I did and I thought, oh, that's mm -hmm. fun. So I kept doing it, but without any expectation. Uh, so yeah, it was like slow. I started doing comedy in slow increments of stuff, stuff that was scarier and scarier, but it felt less scary because I didn't do it suddenly all at once. I feel like stand-up is a scarier side to comedy because it's me on stage with material I've written and like labored to <laughs> create. So it's scarier in a way because yeah, it's all me. And if people don't laugh, they're not laughing at the things I've written and that I thought were, were funny. Yeah. So that's slightly scarier, but because it was the last step for now in my <laughs> path, it feels less scary. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's funny. I, you know, thinking about this podcast, I was like, Oh, have I done anything brave? Like recently, like in the last year. And this, this I could, I couldn't think of too much. I feel like it's been a while since I've done like a big, I mean, there's not always an opportunity to be brave. Sometimes everything's just yeah. going along fine. Like you don't have to force it, I don't think. But And his last year has been a weird one where yeah. it's hard to do anything. Yeah. I was doing stand-up last year, the year before COVID, 2019. I was doing a lot of stand-up comedy, which I've done various times over the years. Like I've dabbled in to different degrees, but I've never gone full in. I've never like been a stand-up, you know what I mean? But maybe three different times in my life, I've like made a run at it where I've like spent a lot of time. And 2019 was one of those years. I was like going to open mics pretty regularly, not as much as some people, but enough that I would, I was becoming friends with people who were sort of on that circuit. 
and trying to get better and have good nights or bad nights. It was, I was really enjoying it. It's very hard to do in LA. There's like no audience in LA. In New York, there's some audience for it, but in LA, there's none. The only people watching are the other comedians I find, even, even at a pretty high level. There's just not a lot of audience for stand-up. There's a lot of people who want to do it. Anyway, and uh, sometimes I would ask people for a spot on their show or like do a show that I was scared to do. That was, there was kind of acts of bravery in that. You know what the scariest thing for me doing is, really, is being bad in front of my friends. I hate. I don't love being bad in front of strangers, but I can handle it. If I go in a room and like a friend of mine is like, oh, I'm going to come see you tonight. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. I hope I'm not complete shit. And if it's just a room of strangers, it's a little bit easier for me to be. I mean, I still don't love being bad, but yeah. I can eat shit in front of strangers a, a bit more easily. I was telling my last in the last episode recording i told the guest that it feels like sometimes being away from home i post stuff on my instagram like about this show mostly to get people to come like strangers to come and pay for a ticket for the show i produce and stuff like that but i do a bunch of promotion on my social media and even like the podcast and i feel like people back home think oh she's doing so well she's doing so much so many so many things and it's not i'm not saying i'm not doing well i'm doing whatever how how well i want to feel i'm doing i that's like my perspective now but i'm not do, it's like none of these are are almost none of these are opportunities yeah. being given by others so i feel like once they do see me if i'm crap they oh so weird that oh, yeah. uh, this person is doing so well and She's not even funny. <laughs> uh, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I've had that exact experience. Uh, first of all, yeah, I, I don't like to say a lot of personal stuff on my social media. So my social media is pretty much all just like promotions and like plugging things that I'm doing. And it may be a silly picture or something. You know what I mean? But it's very little like there's nothing. You can't tell what's going on in my life from my social media, really. Unless I get a big professional, not even a big, if I get any professional success, it goes on my social media. But like, so I've had people say like, wow, you look like you're doing great. And I'm like, I do? I'm barely, barely getting by. I feel like I'm not even making it. And, um, and then also friends, I think, are never the ones to think you're good, weirdly. Your friends like want you to be happy and they're happy to see you be successful. But friends never like friends' art. Anybody who does anything creative, their friends and family are the last ones to think they're good. Yeah. They're the last ones you win over. I feel like I heard even Kevin Hart, you know, the comedian Kevin Hart? Yeah. I heard him on a talk show talking about his brother and that his brother is like always negative. And when he, and Kevin Hart's like, you know, an enormously successful comedian, you know? And like, I've heard him like talk about his, he was saying that, I'll, oh, and I tell my brother like, oh, my movie's number one at the box office and his brother go yeah domestic or something like that <laughs> and you know obviously that's like a joke but it's true like friends and family seem most keen to notice what's wrong with what you're doing yeah or like i'll get a part in a tv show and i'll be like super excited you know and friends will watch it and they'll be like is that all you had just like two lines and i'm like yeah it's all you had two lines like that's like that's huge I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that funny. I'm like, yeah, I know. What, what do you want? Man? I don't know. I, <laughs> I can't. I don't get to write the lines. I mean, you know, I don't know. But like, I've given up like trying to impress friends. I wonder if it's because they just want you to do more and be better. Yeah, so they're they're like rooting for your yes, success, not yes, because they, they're not rooting for your success. I I totally uh, agree. They're yeah. definitely rooting for good things to happen. But like. When you tell somebody you're a comedian, they think of like the biggest comedians in the world. They're like, oh, you're going to be like Jerry Seinfeld. And it's like, yeah. no, no one does that. Like in any profession, there's like the working level, which is like the non-famous, you know, pe people who go into computer programming, they're not all like the best computer programmers in the world or yeah. whatever. Or like people who go into sales or teaching, like you're just, you're doing your job. You know, you're doing the thing that you partly like and you partly are able to do. Yeah. And mine is acting and improv teaching. I like, I like those things, but I don't know. I'm not like Dell Close or whatever. Like I don't give a shit about that. Yeah. Or, you know, pick, pick whatever guess, name yeah. is. I can't, there's no such thing as a famous like improv teacher, but like, <laughs> 
you know, yeah. you can't compare yourself to the top, but I think friends automatically compare you to the very best. Especially in these creative fields that are more, more visible, right? For like everyone. Yeah. Uh, so like the famous people are more visible to anyone. So that's the only comparison yeah, right, right. you can have. When I first got out of college, I tried to be a journalist and I, I just did it for a couple of years and I worked for very small newspapers in my home state. I actually enjoyed those jobs a lot. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of pay. There wasn't a lot of visibility. And every single person that I talked to, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a journalist. They'd be like, oh, I bet you want to work for the New York Times. And I was like, you know what? Not really. There's like plenty of jobs that are not the New York Times that would be like enjoyable that you just don't know of them because it's not your profession. <laughs> yeah. On the other side of the scale, have there been moments in your life in which you haven't done something for lack of bravery or fear? Yeah, there must be. I mean, all the time, right? Every day. I think conversely, there's, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the same kind of thing. There's been lots of professional things that I've either not pursued or not tried because I just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. Like I was just too scared. I didn't have it in me to ask. And I have to, you know, part of like being successful is also just being kind to yourself about that. It's like, well, you just weren't ready. Like, and I've also had opportunities that I've done that I look back and I'm like, oh, I blew it. Like, I didn't prepare enough for X audition. I didn't revise this submission enough that I was asked to do. But I look back and I'm like, well, you just weren't ready. You just weren't ready. Like, you did it the best that you could do and it wasn't enough or... You can't just like get mad at yourself about it. There was once years ago, like around 2011 or something, when Twitter was still fun, I would like try to write jokes on Twitter, like real jokes. Like I would look at the news and try to write jokes. And sometimes they'd be good and sometimes they'd be bad or whatever. And I got an email from Saturday Night Live to apply to write for their news for the weekend update portion. I was like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that the people asked like a, like a, like a, I don't know a lot, but like 20 or 30 people or something. But I was like, oh man, this would be like pretty fucking great to write for Saturday Night Live. That's like a famous show, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like sat down and tried to write, I forget what it was, 20 jokes. And it was something like, okay, you're getting this assignment now. You have to turn it in, in like three days because we want it to be like current. And that's a reflection of what you'd have to do if you got hired anyway. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I remember working kind of hard on it looking at the news and trying to write good jokes. But like, then I was faced with like, what do I, I don't really know what's, what's good or what's bad. And um, the part that wasn't brave was I think I asked one person to look at my submission and I didn't ask anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I just like went off my instincts. And I think that that was like fear. Like I was scared to have people tell me they weren't good or scared to have people tell me they should be better. Cause frankly, I wouldn't have known what to do necessarily. I'd be like, well, I don't know how to make yeah. these better, but that was fear. Like I didn't really ask for a lot of help and I turned it in and they were like, okay, we're not asking you to go on to the second round. I remember, I remember they actually said no, which most places don't do. You submit, you just don't hear anything. Mm -hmm. But this process, like somebody actually told me like, yeah, we're not asking you to go on to the second round. Thank you for submitting. I was like, huh. And then a friend of mine got the job, a nice, a nice friend of mine who was good. So I didn't mind. So you were able to be happy. I was mostly happy, also mad and jealous, but like I was also glad for this person. But I remember I've often looked back at that and been like, oh, what if I had like doubled down on that? What if I had like done better? But part of me is like, no, you just weren't ready. And another part of me is like, no, you could have asked a couple more people just to look at it. That wouldn't have been so hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have always just yeah. disregarded their feedback if you didn't know what to do with it. But I didn't. I feel like that's something I do all the time. I never ask people to. Uh, I've submitted for a couple of things this year and I haven't asked for anyone's uh, second opinion on it because, yeah, I also think I wouldn't know what to do with it and I'm afraid of them telling me, oh, no, it's horrible. And knowing that I'm not, yeah, that yeah. I don't know how to write jokes. Yeah, I've tried to... If I have a big opportunity, I do try to ask for help. But there are times when I just don't know what to do with the advice. I, I've had some minor success as an actor, but I've had almost no success as a writer. And when I started off in comedy, I was like, oh, well, I'm definitely a writer more than an actor. Like, you know what I mean? I wear glasses. I'm all like smart and shit. I'm not an actor. Like I'm a bald, small energy dude. But 
That's not worked out that way. I've had like more success as an actor than as a writer. And every time I've had, and I've had some opportunities to submit for things as a writer, none of them have gone anywhere. And anytime I've asked friends to read my scripts, they seem so bored. <laughs> I've had just almost no enthusiasm for anything I've written. I'm like, huh? I guess maybe I'm just not good at that. I still do like writing. Like I write pilots and stuff, but I've evolved to where it's more for myself. I'm like, well, no one's going to like this. I have to just kind of do it for myself. And maybe I'll just get some momentum and create something great, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I don't know, but I still, I just kind of do stuff for fun now, right? Writing wise. But you were doing stand-up and that was, uh, you said you had successful, uh, you were writing your stand-up. So. Uh, yeah, stand-up was more, uh, first of all, I didn't have a ton of success stand-up. I had success on the very bottom rung of Los Angeles open mic comedy. Not even a lot, but there, there'd be just times when I would do well, or I would, I would get like a show that was one level above an open mic and do all right. But there's more, there's acting involved in standup. You know what I mean? Like you're, yeah. it's your, yeah. if you have confidence as a performer, that's part of the equation. Mm -hmm. And I definitely leaned on just being comfortable and confident on stage to make up for uh, material I wasn't always <laughs> confident in, you know? Mm -hmm. My best nights are when I would riff something with the crowd. Yeah. Something would happen and I could just improvise. That was like a stronger skill set for me. If there was like weird people in the audience that I could like mention. I once did a set where there were two guys drunk and they were from Minnesota. And I know this because they just now and then would go, Minnesota, like for no reason. And I, when I was my set, I mentioned the, a joke about the great Gatsby and they cheered. And I was like, and I had to stop and be like, why are the Minnesota guys cheering for the great Gatsby? What, what's happening? Is there a Minnesota connection? And I started like riffing with them. And that was the best part of my set. Nobody liked my great Gatsby joke, but they liked when I talked to the <laughs> Minnesota guys. And that, that's the, the, then the frustrating part of stand-up sometimes is that you can't rec recreate. Yeah, I can't uh, be like, hey guys, will you come, thing that happened, you keep yeah. coming to my sets and like <laughs> get the same amount of drunk that you were and like be just as much of annoying as you were that same amount so that I can comment on it the same way. It's like, yeah, yeah. fortunately it's not going to happen. Is there anything coming up in your life for which you will have to be brave? Yeah, um, I've been teaching classes online and I'm trying to grow that into becoming more of a, its own thing and hire other teachers. And um, that's scary in a way. It's scary to make a thing that's bigger than just you and like let go. Like if I'm mm -hmm. teaching just my own thing and it's all me teaching, then it feels like I have control over it. But now I'm trying to hire the teachers and I, if that works, and it hasn't yet worked, but I'll, it'll suddenly be in a place where I'm like, well, I don't know what everybody is teaching and I don't know what all the students are and I have to just kind of try to, but it, it feels very similar to asking for help. It's like, well, I just have to trust that other people are being good. I can't like worry about it too much. I've been excited seeing, the is it the best improv school? Uh, the world's Earth? greatest uh, improv uh, school? the world's greatest improv yeah. school. I've been excited to see it grow throughout this period yeah. of time. Because, yeah, it started with you teaching a couple of yeah. Um, workshops, yeah. classes online. Because had time, um, yeah, sitting around. There's nothing going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to build that into something. So the jury is still out whether I will be successful. But it's been fun to try. So there's bravery involved in that. Yeah. And at the same time, even though you can't uh, necessarily know what other people are doing, you're like surrounded by good people so yeah there's some control in that because you're hiring yeah people you know and you know they are good uh, even though it's like letting go of control which i think is another thing that requires bravery is letting go of control yeah for sure just being like well i don't know if i'm making the right decision but i have to make a decision so here it is does it feel like it gets easier with time or um does it pretty much feel <laughs> the same i mean yeah i think Within an arena, it gets easier. There's always things that come up that are scary, but like, you know, improv school, I have taught improv for a long time. Like there are certain things that I feel somewhat confident in. I'm like, well, I, I feel like my classes are good enough that I'm happy with them. And I do feel like the people I'm hiring, I mean, I know they are really good. So if for some reason it doesn't work out that they either don't want to do it or the things they're teaching don't work. I'll still be like, well, I, I made, I'm happy with the decisions I made. Mm -hmm. And there's also decisions of like how big to grow. And I've had to make decisions about how many classes to offer. And I'm writing a curriculum and 
but I have experience doing all that. It's, and it's certainly not like I feel like everything's perfect, but I, I'm like, well, no, you, and I have to tell myself, you've done a lot of this. Like trust that your instincts are at least okay. Like, or that if you make a bad decision, you will realize it and can change it later. Like just trust that you will be able to adjust as you go. I don't need to figure it all out perfectly right now. Yeah. Had you done classes online before? Uh, no, no. I have taught classes on my own occasionally, but I've never done them like over video conferencing. It was new. Once the lockdown started, it was brand new for me. Uh, how was adapting improv <laughs> to the online space? I've been to, I think, one of your first shows because Lucy took uh, one of your classes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the shows are, I think, not so fun to watch, but I think doing improv online is, is pretty fun. It's better than I thought. I thought it was going to be miserable uh, and no fun at all, but it's been pretty fun. Like I've gotten to know people and I feel like I've really gotten to hear their comedic voice and people have been a lot more like brave and bold online and their performances have a lot of energy and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, there's like, it's just better than I thought. It's kind of cool. I, I, I do think shows don't really work. Like I think it'll, yeah. we won't really be able to build a big audience. I have not, myself as an audience member liked too much improv that I've seen or stand up or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have seen some and it's okay, but do, doing it is still quite fun. I think, I think the people doing it yeah. are feeling, are feeling good. That's good. I, f- I find it hard to, and I've done like a few stand up gigs that were okay online, but I find it generally hard to give everything when like in rehearsals uh, instead of when there's a show so i feel like being in my room uh, also doesn't help when i'm performing because i'm in like my yeah a place where i don't usually act so yeah. yes it all feels a little bit like rehearsal right now online just fingers crossed i hope it's over somewhat soon yeah which makes this question always this uh something in your future because i've started doing this podcast during covid times yeah. it feels like what, what is the brave thing we can do uh closed in yes <laughs> indoors yeah. but people have been inspirational in episodes so i i it's also good to to hear it yes. uh, i find yeah. we've almost at the end of the podcast there's one more question about bravery which is uh is there someone real or fictional someone from your own life or like a public figure which you will use as an example of bravery? Oh, that's a fun question. Yes, I'm going to say it's, it's not fictional, but it's not somebody that I know. But there's a comic book I like called Love and Rockets. And the two creators, they're named uh, Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez, the two brothers who do a comic book. And they've always kind of done their own thing. And it's, always, and it's always, well, I was gonna say it's always been good. It's, it has always been good, but sometimes it's good in a very accessible way. And sometimes it's good in a very weird, inaccessible way. And I kind of admire their creative bravery. And also the band, They Might Be Giants, I really admire their like path and the things they've done. And I get inspired by their work ethic. Mm-hmm. They're an inspiration to me. So I guess creative people. Nobody in my personal life. I'm inspired by nobody that I've met personally. <laughs> I do find it in- inspiring when people do are creative and like follow their creative voice independent of, not necessarily dependent on whether there's success in it or not, which I find it's somewhat what you were trying to say about a comic book. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but they are still passionate about doing it and are still doing it yeah yeah it's inspiring for sure thank you so much for being my guest the last question i'll ask it's about plugs i'm doing classes online it's called the world's greatest improv school and that's wgimprovschool.com so if you're if you want to do improv stuff you could check it out small little boutique improv school small but high quality offering of classes and i have a twitter account w-i-l-l-h-i-n-e-s and my twitter account is all lies i just brag <laughs> false things about my life so you can go and follow along a fake life that i'm not leading if you want to look at my twitter that's that's real it's all lies it is true that i am lying it's also inspirational because mm-hmm. when you do read your lies you're like oh he's doing so much i should be yeah. getting yeah. up and exercising as I well get it, or I, whatever I get inspired by my twitter persona yeah. too he's he's doing great yeah <laughs> he's working out every day he's selling scripts left and yeah. right he's writing and finding himself funny yeah he's got a lot of confidence it's like i, do, I yeah. do get inspired by that guy whoever he is 
Uh, you also launched um, an oh, album. Yeah, my friends and I made a band. It's called Wayne and Rodney is the name of our band. And our album is called Turn It Up. And it's just, you know, we're just like pop rock fun stuff. Just we're fans. Of, he's actually a really talented musician. I am a new guitar player, but a, a longtime fan of pop music, obsessed with many, many bands and so i just wanted to write songs if you really want to support yeah. will hines this is a big ask go to go to Bandcamp, which is an artist friendly band site and search for the band wayne and rodney and listen to and or buy our album turn it up i really enjoy it and the first video clip brought me a lot loads oh of yeah joy. there's been two there's been two videos you're thinking of we are running from a storm is that what you're thinking of yes. yeah yeah that was our yeah. first like single And that's yeah. one of my songs. My partner's name is Joel, and he has songs too. But this was one of mine. Well, they're, they're all collaborations. But I, I'm singing this one. And um, it inadvertently felt like it was about COVID, although it was written and recorded before COVID. But mm -hmm. it's fun. We are running from a storm. Yeah, I, I like it. Thank you for watching it. We have another video coming out in a couple of weeks. Oh, I just remembered uh, you also do a bunch of podcasts because oh, yeah. uh, I was going to say that I also enjoy listening to I Will Write Your Book. Oh, yeah. I've, I do a million podcasts. And my most recent one is called I Will Write Your Book. See, I'm just this lockdown. I've got too much time in my hands. Uh, it's called I Will Write Your Book. And I pretend to be an author who helps people write books. And my comedian friends come on as characters who want books written. And um, I mean, I like it. No, I like it. It's also fun because it's the sort of the opposite of your Twitter character because you're less confident as oh, yeah. uh, or at least you're being. It's, no, it's true that, that the character I'm playing on that show has no confidence at all. And the people around him don't make it easier for him no, either. Yeah, he gets shit on a lot. And I, I think it's really fun. I like that podcast a lot. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at, at @marianisbeats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowdy updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag DowdyPod. I would also like to know your pics of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give, and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Marianas Beats. I've been Mariana Feijal. Until next week.